DJ, PK, and the rock monster, Brad Rock, longtime Deseret News jazz beat writer and columnist, now in retirement. Brad, good morning. Good morning, DJ. How are you? <laughs> what are you doing with all this free time, Brad, since traveling is no longer an acceptable answer? Yeah, well, that was my plan. I mean, I, I'd have been in Scotland today if, you know, the plan had worked out. And, uh, and, and so I think, you know, a road trip to, to Costco is kind of, kind of the limits of my range now. Uh, you live out on the uh, by Saratoga Springs and all. They got that new Costco that they're building. Is it open yet? <laughs> it's not open, but you know we're we're counting down the days. It's kind of big community thing out here, and uh, I think I think I might round, round up hands. I think I might go out to Eagle Mountain get hands, and uh, you know maybe we'll be the first guys in line when they cut the ribbon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jake will join you. Yak lives down there too. There's actually there's actually a lot of the local media people down there. Believe it or not, it's turned into a very popular oh. area. Okay, excellent. Yeah, we're, it's good. I saw Hans about uh, three, two or three weeks ago. I was jogging and I hear Brad, Brad, and they turn around and it's Hans and his wife driving around. I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "Just just moving around, getting out of the house." Hey, I'm curious, uh, watching the uh, last dance and all of that, and I assume you watched it, uh, and you were around the Jazz so much in that era and leading up to that area, era, of what you saw of Jordan, of what you saw of the Jazz, did they get it right? Did they miss any big storylines, any stories you wanted them to go after? You know, DJ, I, both of you guys were here, and, uh, you know, uh, no, I thought I thought they did a nice job. I thought the whole thing was a little disjointed when they jumped back, and you're watching something from 1998, and then you're back in 1994, and I'm sure that's because they rushed that thing to get it in production, but... Uh, I thought they got they got they got it quite well, and uh, the only thing that I saw I didn't see a lot of stuff that surprised me, or I said, "Oh, really?" Except I didn't realize MJ was uh, quite as petty as he was, uh, and, and you know that he would use something like George Carl not saying hi to him to get ready to play. That just, to me, DJ, that that seems high school to me. These guys are professionals. If Michael Jordan is supposed to get ready every night, if he comes to battle every day at practice, why does a, a slight from George Carl make the difference? So that, that part kind of surprised me. But uh, I, I don't know, DJ, I didn't, uh, PK, I can't... Uh, I can't see that they missed it too much. I thought they were a little more respectful of the Jazz than I than I thought they'd be. Yeah, we were just talking about some guy for the Washington Post wrote a big piece about Stockton basically didn't get his due, and maybe he should have mm-hmm. gotten more run. Uh, maybe he could have gotten more run on the, on the documentary. But as I look back on his career. I think he got the exact due that he was due, which was a lot because this guy was an all-time player. He was an all-time player. And, you know, PK, before I ever saw him play really in person, I'd see him on TV. I was a college writer, and I'd go, you know, uh, he's, you know, he's a six-foot-two guard and not, and not even really six-two. I, I, I didn't get it. Uh, and then I got down uh, on the court, and those first – 
first few years, for quite a few years, you know, we sit on the floor. And when you see the angles and you were at floor level, it, it, it astounded you how good he was. But it, it took me a while to come around. But, yeah, he's, he, he's an all-time great and, uh, and just a guy that we'll never see like him again. Did the behind-the-scenes stuff where Jordan's shaking hands with him coming off the podium at a press conference or Carl's going on the bus, did any of that surprise you, or is that just kind of a normal uh, normal aftermath of bonding at the 92 Olympics and, and spend a lot of time together? Yeah, DJ, they, I think that's that's true. They, you know, they were friendly and, and everything. Uh, yeah, I didn't see uh, John getting on the team bus. I didn't see that happening, and... And DJ, I've repeated this over the years, but it reminds me of 96. And 96, the Jazz lose in um, Seattle. And that's the, the, they lose that last game, don't get to go to the NBA Finals. Uh, and so they had two team buses. They had a media bus and they had a Jazz bus out on the tarmac waiting. And I look over at the team bus, and I, I repeated this for ESPN for their story, but I look over the team bus, and the mailman is kind of laughing around, and they're passing out box lunches and everything. And I, I, I would never be the guy that said mailman didn't give it 100%, but he, he could walk away. The pressure was off, and it looked to me like he's going, okay, all right, well, okay, now the season's over. Uh, I'm going to go hunting. And, and then I see the door of the bus open, and John Stockton walks out, and he's just looking across the tarmac, his hands in his pockets, a nine-mile stare, just staring. And, and so I watch him for a minute, and then about a minute later, the bus opens, and here comes Jerry Sloan. And he stands side-by-side side next to Stockton, and they both got that nine-mile stare. Nobody says a word. They just look off in the distance. And I thought, these guys, it's going to take a while for these guys uh, to get over it, but that was just how they dealt with the uh, dealt with dealt with the pressure and how they uh, handled these things. I just think Carl was a guy that played his guts out and then could move on and uh, was on to his next project. Where Jerry and Jerry and John, uh, those kind of uh, those kind of losses didn't die easily. All right, so that leads to the question: Then, do they need to have those losses? really sting with them because if you look at Jordan it obviously gnawed at him big time and it's basically mm-hmm. that what it takes to be at that level yeah I think it probably does PK and uh, you know I don't know how it hit you guys but when I saw that show it did you know they say oh Michael hated to lose he he hated to lose he couldn't abide by losing, and and you know I kind of roll my eyes on that because who does like to lose? Do you think John Stockton, you know, took it any less hard than Michael Jordan would have? I just I don't believe that it mattered more to Jordan than it did to Stockton. He had more talent than anybody else on a court. He had more talent around him than the Jazz did, um, so he made it happen. So. You know, that's the one thing about that documentary. I thought the, you know, the the dramatic drum beat of the and the music in the background about you know Michael gearing up and giving it all he had was a little contrived because I don't think it was any different with a, you know quite a number of players. Uh, nobody likes to lose, and there's a lot of great competitive guys in the league. So. Over time, because you covered the league and you were a beat writer, late 80s, early 90s, you were the beat writer, right? 
Yes, uh-huh. right. 90, 90 through 94. And so the, uh, there were some, and obviously they covered, you know, how much the Pistons and Bulls hated each other, but there wasn't as much free agency. Guys were just starting to move around. A guy like Tom Chambers switched teams several times, right? Utah and Phoenix and Seattle. But there wasn't as much of that then. So maybe it was a little more intense and there wasn't quite this clubby fraternity that we've got now. Has that changed the sport in your mind or no? Uh, in, in terms of uh, – tell me that again. In and terms in terms of, of how much guys really like to just beat the crap out of each other and just grind away oh, on yeah. each other and really legitimately didn't like each other and didn't like teams yeah. because contracts were longer and guys didn't move as much. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, DJ, I think that's true. Uh, you know, a few years later – uh, the Detroit team from the women's NBA comes through Salt Lake. And um, Bill Lambeer, you know, is the coach of that team, and he comes here, here. So I go over to ask him about those years with the Jazz. And, you know, pretty much as rude as Lambeer always was, maybe a little bit more civil, but not too much. And I asked him about memories of the team you know, playing here, and he well, I don't remember having a lot of problems playing anybody here. And, uh, you know, I kind of persisted, asked him some questions. He says, you know, uh, yeah, hey, uh, let's look how many championships the Jazz have. And I guess what I was going to say is he still had that animosity. It was still, still there. And years later, I thought he'd be mellowed out. He'd be a coach. He'd be a grown-up guy. And those things hadn't gone but he did not like the Jazz, and he, he didn't mind bringing that up. He didn't mind kind of uh, taunting them about, uh, you know, the Jazz never getting the championship. Uh, and I think that's, yeah, I think that's totally true. Uh, totally true that back then just the unity, the groups that were together, and uh, guys that spent their whole careers in one city um, made, it, made it more intense than it can be now. Well, Brad, you've just come out of retirement and play with me here. You've been hired as a senior advisor to the Jazz, and Dennis Lindsay brings you in and says, Brad, we've got a big decision to make regarding Rudy Gobert. Do we pay him the Supermax? What are you telling Dennis? Well, you know, I guess I, I, I guess the cat's out of the bag. I have been hired as a consultant for the Jazz, <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm going to keep it close to the vest on that, but uh, you know, I, 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 I have thought that thing over again numerous times with Rudy Gobert. Uh, I, I, I think they need other guys than what they have to get to the championship thing. Uh, but I think the system, way, the way it is now, and the difficulty of getting guys, you probably pay Rudy. Even though maybe at the end of that contract he's not going to be his best thing, uh, I don't think you just go out and get another guy like him. So, yeah, I'd, I'd do it. I'd pay the man. How much do players, you know, there's so much about how much the players get along now. You know, it's mostly a Donovan and Rudy thing, but I think you'd have to be naive to say, you know, that that might be the only conflict in a group of 15 players. How much did players get along back then, and how much as a beat writer were you aware of it, not aware of it, able to write about it, not able to write about it for whatever reason? Yeah, I think it was a lot a lot about the same. I, I, I think that, you know... You look at these 12 guys on a team, and you go, you somehow make that leap that you think you're all on the same page. 
And then, you know, you go to your office and uh, there's 12 people in your office and you're not all on the same page. And some people are, are uh, you know, <laughs> backstabbing people and some people are climbers and some people are totally altruistic and some people aren't as good as they think they are. Uh, so why would we think it'd be any different with the teams? And so, yeah, I think that that was true. Uh, but I do think the Jazz, and, and uh, you know, I will say this. I had Jazz players, well, so I probably won't tell them, but I had Jazz players off the record at some times grumbling about the Jazz offense, about all it does is go into Carl Malone. Uh, I heard a player say he could average 25 points a game uh, if he got any shots. And uh, I had players say, you know, Hey, this is, they, they put us in a bad situation. You know, they—it's—it's uh, it's John and Carl playing together, and then if uh, something goes wrong, uh, then then we got to fix it. So, um, so I don't think it was any different. But I do think the Jazz guys did buy into Jerry. I think Jerry was able to do that, and uh, they were able to, uh, you know, give up some of their personal uh, objectives so that they could win the game and. You know, my other thought on that, guys, I don't want to go on too long about this. My other thought about the Jazz that was always interesting to me in that era was that they really did outwork nearly every team. And so they would uh, they would win all these games in a regular season, and then you'd get to the playoffs, and you're going, hey, how come they can't win the championship? Well, you know, everybody was playing their hardest in the championship year, but I think that was a tribute to Jerry that his team's won a lot of games and just came pretty much every night to play. And so when you looked at the wins at the end of the year, you're going, wow, these guys are good. Uh, and sometimes we're a little surprised they didn't win a championship when you look at their regular season results. So, yeah, I get that. In their regular season, they played almost to the max where other guys might have been coasting and they have to yeah. step it up in the playoff. And it was hard for them to step it up because they were already playing at a high level. So it was that dilemma of do you – not yes. coast, but do you reserve something so you can increase it in the postseason? And the Jazz, because they gave so much in the regular season, it was harder for them to turn it up a notch. Yeah, I think I think that's a perfect analogy. Actually, I I completely agree with you that they they brought their best pretty much every night, and then uh, there wasn't really another notch. I mean, they played. Yeah, they 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 stepped it up like they did, but they got the max out of their talent all season long. And uh, and then they got in the playoffs, and they have guys with more athleticism, and they had some teams with more talent, and so you would you would get in the playoffs, and it was it was pretty rough for the Jazz. But you, yeah, you look back during the regular season series with a lot of these teams, and the Jazz, you'd say, oh, they 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 held their own, or even did better. You know, those years Houston won the championship, the, the two years when Michael Jordan was gone, and uh, yeah, you look back and you go, hey, the Jazz didn't have to back down from that team, but. But Houston was able to kick it into another level. All right. If you want to know more about the Jazz, the Rock Monster will be at Costco near the uh, lawn furniture from <laughs> noon to two today. Stop by, but wear a mask and be ten feet away from him. Okay. Yeah, uh, social distance, but we will still have the dollar uh, fifty hot dog with the Coke. Sweet. There it is. I'm more a pizza guy myself, but. Obviously. <laughs> okay. Well, we can do that too. Thank you, Brad. We appreciate a few minutes. Good to talk with you guys. Brad Rock, the Rock Monster, join us right here. <laughs> Former D News jazz beat writer and columnist. All right, coming up, 
Matt Chesnow, Washington State Cougars play-by-play voice. The spring football tour continues with the coaching change up there in Pullman. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Utah Jazz forward Bojan Bogdanovic will undergo season-ending surgery on his wrist today in New York to repair a ligament which he reportedly injured early in the 2019 season. The decision to have surgery now gives Bogdanovic a chance to fully recover in anticipation of the start of the 2020-2021 season. The Knicks are set to hire Walt Perrin as assistant general manager underneath new team president Leon Rose. He will work alongside Knicks GM Steve Perry. Governors from New York, California, and Texas said Monday the pro sports could resume in their respective states in the near future. And Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger is throwing footballs to teammates again and followed through on his promise to get a haircut and shave to mark the occasion. Former USC quarterback Jack Sears has joined the Boise State football program as a grad transfer. He'll have two seasons of eligibility remaining with the Broncos. Top of the Wire is brought to you by Action Plumbing. This Top of the Wire update actually brought to you by Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Matt Chazanel, Washington State Cougars play-by-play voice. Matt, good morning. Morning, guys. How you doing? Good. So, you trade one pass-happy coach for another pass-happy coach in Pullman. How much is that going to impact everything? Well, I think it's TBD. I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I haven't seen him a single practice yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's been so weird. You know, I, I think uh, I think it'll go really well. If I'm being honest, uh, I, I know that I'm sure most play-by-play guys are are in the role where you'd probably hear them say that about their their new coach. But it's it's really been there's a reason why the hiring process was so smooth, and and Rolovich, Coach Rolovich, was here 72 hours doing a presser after Coach Leach was in Starkville, and and that's not always the case. So, you know, I think. There's a reason why Coach Leach recommended him and why Pat Chun thought he'd be a great fit, and it all just fell right into place. You know, he's, he seems like a, a a really great fit for what is here personnel-wise and culture and all, and all those things that go along with it. So a couple quarterbacks are gone. Who's throwing for 5,000 yards this next season? Well, that's, that's really the key question. I mean, if you had to pin me down right now, I think the leader is Cam Cooper. You know, he's been here. He's a, a now a redshirt sophomore, so he's been here a few years. You guys know Cam Cooper from mm-hmm. from his Utah high school days, yeah. I suspect. Yep. And uh, he, yep. he's, he, you know, he's had a, a very good last year. If you, if you told me his first year, his redshirt year, 
that he was going to have to play, I'd say that there's just no way. He wasn't ready, and, and he wasn't practicing at the level that would allow him to compete at the pack. And, but he's got all, he's big, and his arm's really strong enough, and, and all those things. He just had, kind of had to figure out how to how to do it. He had a, a really good spring game last year. I should say uh, he had a really good fall camp uh, last year. And had had a moment, few moments where he had a bunch of, of quality throws for the first time, you know, pack level throws that I saw. And then, uh, you know, now the system's a little bit different. But he's the guy who's been here. And Gunnar Cruz is a, a kid from Arizona who's who's a different kind of player than Cooper. You know, he'll he'll compete for it. Cruz is is huge. I mean, you, you know, think more in the mold of. Uh, Ryan Leaf, you know, he's a, he's a different kind of quarterback. He, uh, he's not at Leaf's level right now, but he's that big. I mean, he's six four. He's came in out of high school like six four, well over two hundred, but mobile and really athletic. Uh, and then um, there was a big, there's a big recruit coming in named Jaden Delora from Hawaii, who ran this system back at, at St. Louis High School, which is a powerhouse high school in Hawaii. And and the coaches all know him because Craig Stutzman, who's who's the QB guy, is, is, went to that high school also and is Hawaiian. So Coach Rolovich played at Hawaii. There's a connection there. And, um, and I think that's a possibility if he comes in and just blows everybody away, although it's always, it's always unlikely for a true freshman to, to start right out of high school. So, yeah, you throw for 5,000 yards, but there'll be like seven receivers with 500 yards. So is that – do you have a good feel for whether Rolovich wants to change that or whether it's a lot of four-receiver sets and you need two sets of guys basically running sprints every 30 seconds, so you need to be six, seven, eight receivers deep, and none of these guys should worry about playing time or catches because the ball's going to get spread around. You know, I, I don't know as much. I've, I've yet to see this version of the run and shoot and the way Rolovich wants to do it with this personnel and, and have those specific discussions in terms of, all right, here's your depth chart, but how deep does it actually go? Is it like the air raid where you're really playing eight wide receivers? You know, I, I can say I've talked to him about how it, it is going to be it's actually fewer pre-snap sets, and it's a bunch of post-snap receiver route options. And it's a different way to run it. When it's on, the ceiling's actually higher. I think Mike Leach would say when it's on, there are opportunities for more deep balls, more explosive plays than the air raid. There's also, there's also a lot more running with Max Borgie. Uh, by design, pre-snapped in the air raid, and, and they'll go with what's working. It's not, it's not necessarily as pass first, although it is a pass offense. But you know, I, I don't know the answer to that yet, and I don't, I don't know that anybody does. I think he kind of needs to wait and see who fits and, and what the personnel is, and who's outside and who's inside. I don't think they'll switch that up too much. There are a couple guys. Cassidy Woods maybe could be an outside guy. He might play a lot. He was going to be inside. He's a little bit bigger, but that that's very TBD. You know, I, I need to see it in camp and see it in practice, and I, I'm not totally comfortable saying, like, well, it's going to be the same thing with eight guys catching that many balls. You know, I'm, I'm not sure how the wealth gets spread around like that. 
Well, you did lose a 1,000-yard receiver last year, and obviously Gordon's gone as a 5,000-yard-plus passer. You mentioned Borgie coming back at at running back, and then I look at the offensive line. There's a whole lot of expected, anyway, talent uh, returners to be coming back. So could I say maybe that uh, the run and shoot is a little more run at the start maybe this year? I think so, yeah. I mean, maybe the best player on the team is your running back, and and Coach Rovis said in his initial press conference in the opening pressers that right away you know he wants to run the ball more um it's not the air raid and and he wants to be sure that fans know and their expectations are set that there are games where they could hand the ball off 25 times to max Borg. I mean, that that's not unheard of for him it's the run and shoot you know it's a little bit different and and i know that that, that can take a couple different meanings but i think for him he's comfortable with that uh, they lost. They lost three really good wide receivers. They lost Des Patman. They lost Aesop Winston, and they, and they lost Brandon Arcanado. They returned quite a bit. Tay Martin, Travell Harris, Bernard Bell. Um, I mentioned Cassidy Woods before. There's a kid named Brandon Gray who's a long outside receiver who, who you haven't seen a ton yet. He hasn't had a chance to, to really play. Uh, maybe the most talented of them, Rod Fisher. Is not currently on the roster. We'll, we'll, we'll see if he's kind of able to, to figure things out before we get back to school. And um, so th- there are guys who are there and could be there who are really good. And I, I think the, the, the peak of those guys being Tay Martin and, and Travell Harris in terms of production and returning production. But but yes, you know you're bringing back uh, if the second best or maybe the best player. If Max Borgie, then the other guy competing for that's your right tackle and Abe Lucas, who looks like a pro. He looks like he's in the mold of Andre Dillard, who was a first-round pick. So, yeah, it, it could definitely be a, a, a very run-oriented version of a pass-happy offense. So it looks like Wazoo gave up at least 30 points in seven of nine conference games, plus the bowl game. There's a 37-35 loss to Oregon, 38-34 to ASU, memorably 67-63 to UCLA, and won a 54-53 shootout with Oregon State. That's wildly entertaining, but that's just way too many points. Where is the strength of the defense to build off of to, if not lock down teams, at least start, stop the uh, arena football-type scores? Yeah, the, the whole UCLA-type thing and, and even the Oregon State game, I mean – it is, you know, it's more fun than three nothing, but it's not great football. You know, you, you don't you don't want to be playing games in north of fifties into the sixties regularly and and giving up that many points and and it's it's fun in its own way, but it's also not it's not ideal. You know, you want to be able to get teams off. I mean, that was Utah was really good last year and at a nationally relevant level with. With all those guys on defense that got drafted, and Zach Moss, and the whole thing, and Huntley, and the, and the thing that really stopped Washington State was in Utah, for instance, was for one, the the offense got slowed down by the Utes, and, and a credit to them, and and the Kooks couldn't get Utah off the field. I mean, they, they were constantly converting third and long, and if you had to look back at last year's team. The last year will be the year that the, the offense was fantastic, 
but the defensive coordinator quit midseason, and they they never really got back on track. You know, and I and you, the, the, you could look at causation, correlation, and cause and effect, and everything. But the, last year's the the defense had a really hard time figuring it out. They lost a player before the year ever started who, who wound up starting for the Arizona Cardinals, a safety named Jalen Thompson, all pack level, might have been the best safety in the pack last year, and and he got drafted in the supplemental draft. And wound up actually starting as a rookie a few games for the Cardinals. He was he was supposed to really anchor the defense and be the star. And so now coming back, you actually have a lot of players who played, but I don't want to say it was for bad reasons, but it was it kind of became a bit of a grab bag. You had a new defensive coordinator, and you shifted some personnel back to where it was supposed to be before Tracy Clays had switched it around a little bit, and it really it really turned out to be. Uh, a bit of a mess. So the thing last year they really couldn't do, and the reason why I think they never could get teams off on third down, third and long, is is they just didn't get a lot of pocket pressure. Quarterbacks had a lot of time. There was not a lot of pressure on the offense, the opposing offensive line. So Dallas Hobbs and Lamont McDougal, and they actually have a lot of talent coming back on the D line too. You know, Will Rogers, the, those three guys. If they're your starting defensive lineman, you actually feel pretty good about it. But Lamont McDougal had barely played last year. Hobbs had had really not turned into what. The Cooks think he could be, which is an all-pack D lineman, and and Will Rogers, I think, it had some issues uh, in terms of health, and so he wasn't quite right. So it, it was getting really deep, you know. And and I think at some point, you know, last year coming into the year, they had to re- replace ten of their eleven defensive starters for some of the games from the previous year, and and it's very hard to reload like that you know and you, you, if you've got a good defense you will find out you know how how utah is about to reload here they've lost so much over the last two years to the nfl for instance it's very hard to do that defense is their thing the cougar offense could do it and and you know the defense didn't quite keep up there and so they still bowled you know they they and they almost won that could have been an eight-win team it could have been a nine-win team the offense was good enough you mentioned the UCLA game. They definitely should have won that. They almost won in Eugene. They almost won in Tempe. You know, those were those are really hard games to win. I mean, you go to Oregon last year and, and win a game, you're 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 darn good. So they were there. They just they need to figure that out. And Jake Dickert's the new DC, and and there's tons of coaching turnover. So it's it's TBD on some scheme. I, I get the idea. I think it'll feel a little more like Alex Grinch. But but in personnel and what they do with some of the nickelbacks packages and Travion Brown is a really talented linebacker. What do you do with Brown? And he was just a true freshman last year who was real productive at the all pack level. So um, it, I don't want to say question marks. They they kind of know who. It's just where and how because there's a new DC. Yeah, obviously there's a new coaching staff there, and I went and looked. And I saw, you know, he brought a lot of guys from Hawaii with him, particularly on the offensive side. And I was wondering if you could explain, because as I was researching it, I see Brian Smith is listed as the offensive coordinator, and he was with uh, Rolovich the last four years over there in, in the islands. And then also you already mentioned uh, a Stutzman. Is that how you pronounce his name? Uh, he's listed as the co-offensive coordinator slash quarterback coach. How is that going to work? All right, so let's go back in time, and I, I think you'll get a sense of what's going on here. The offensive side of the ball is an evolution of one of Hawaii's best teams ever, 
where Rolovich was the quarterback, Stutzman was a wide receiver, and Smith was an offensive lineman. They all played together. So they're all, they're all playing buddies from back in the Hawaii days, playing, figuring it all out with June Jones. And, and now they, they've all, they all went off and became coaches, and they've, they've circled back at Hawaii and now, and now had phenomenal success there as coaches and, and gotten this job. So the offensive side of the ball here is the Hawaii staff from last year, not in totality, but primarily. And then the defensive side is the Wyoming, is a a bunch of Wyoming Cowboys coaches who, through success in the Mountain West, you you had under Craig Bull and with some personal connections, you've got Jake Dickert as the D.C. and him bringing a crew that he thinks will work in the pack. So whatever the titles are, what you really have offensively is... Rolovich was the, the Hawaii quarterback as a player. You've got Stutzman was a slot receiver and a, and a very good one and uh, a, a very impactful recruiter in on the islands. And then you've got Brian Smith, who as an offensive lineman has coached himself into, into con plays and, and learning the totality of the offense. So he, he's not the old line coach Mark Weber is, but they all kind of play their own role in forming it together. Now, I'll know more about how it all really fits together once we get to practice. And I'm, I, I know what the I get the personal connections, and I don't know how much to read into titles and all that stuff. But if, if that kind of paints the picture for you of, of how far back this goes for these guys, um, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine Rolovich isn't obviously integral to how these plays are going to be designed and called and what the communication will be like and who's up in the booth and all that stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll get, I'll confirm that once I see it. Cause I don't want to say the, the wrong thing. Hold, hold me to it, but that that's the spirit of it. Washington state hosts Utah in the sixth game of the year, October 10th, but the season opener is at Utah state September 3rd. Can Rolovich possibly answer all the questions or is Utah state got a great opportunity to beat a PAC 12 team at home? Well, you know, I, the Aggies lost their QB. You know, it's it's hard for me to make too much of a prediction on a on a road Thursday game when when the Cougs and the Aggies literally haven't practiced. You know, I mean, I, I think I think Washington State in the magazines that are all about to come out, which, by the way, I'm itching for and can't wait to get through all that stuff in preseason. I I just hope we all get a green light and, and can really talk more definitively about this. But my suspicion is, based on a six-win team last year and a loss to Air Force in the bowl and the departure of Mike Leach and all the coaching turnover, it's going to be really hard for those who know the league who make predictions to to pick the Cougs toward the top of the North? It's just you're, you're going to have a lot of predictions of Washington State winning just a few pack games and and maybe doing okay non-conference. So I think people are going to look at this game as sort of a litmus test. I don't know how fair that is, and it probably depends on how much practice they get before it and what this all really looks like. I'm not comfortable. I haven't done the Utah State real prep yet to know. Watch out! Bad matchup, good matchup, one way or another. I think it's a, I think it's inherent in the first game, the road game, and all this coaching turnover and waiting to see what that looks like and feels like. There, there's definitely 
larger unknowns than if it was Mike Leach coming back. I could tell you very specifically where every player is going to fit in and, and what the offense is going to do and, and all that stuff. I, I can't do that for you right now. So I, I feel unsure to, to give you a, a, the real solid definition you're looking for. But um, I, I do think that it's probably unfair to say, okay, pictures painted no matter what after the, the Utah State game. I mean, you know, in 2015, the Cougs lost to Portland State and then lost to Boise and then ripped off a, a, a really good season and beat Miami in the Sun Bowl and, and wound up winning nine games. So hard to say, you know, early on. I, I learned that lesson, and uh, and I think I think it's probably not fair to say the Utah State game just is what it is for, for Coach Rolovich in his first game. Well, Matt, thanks for joining us this morning. We appreciate the insight on the Washington State Cougars, such as it is. A lot of transition and don't get the full spring football. But thanks for coming on and talking a little Cougars. Oh, I love talking ball. I've been itching, too. I love the text and the call from you guys. And anytime, uh, I, I can't wait to get to it. And uh, I appreciate you having me on. Matt Chasnow, Washington State Cougar, play-by-play voice. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. George Niang, kind enough to join us. It sounds like you want to get back out there. You want to play and, and finish the season. For sure. You know, I feel like America needs sports. You yeah. know, America needs entertainment just for their mental well-being. And if, you know, the NBA could lead that resurgency, that would mean a lot. You know, I think the game has a huge impact. If we can continue to impact the world positively, you know, with, you know, stressing the fact that, you know, be healthy, protect yourself, uh, wash your hands, take care of others, and still be able to play, I think we should get out there and do it. Uh, but if it's my gut feeling and I had a gun to my head, I would say that, you know, we're going to finish the season and that's going to happen. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Feedback of the day brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or com. Robert tweets at us, I'll tell you what, dot, dot, dot. I think he did that for you, PK. Your station needs Dave Rose on the radio all the time, and this is coming from a huge Ute fan. Amazing insight. Yeah, that's why I suggested we get him on. I totally agree. Great minds thinking alike. I wish you'd retire and so I could do the show with him. John Stockton deserved better from The Last Dance. That's a headline in the Washington Post. I put the story up on Twitter. And Frumpy Grumpy tweeted back, so did Carl Malone. <laughs> the story wasn't about the Jazz. The story was about Jordan and the Bulls, but mostly Jordan, Jordan, and Jordan. Yeah, obviously. It's just Stockton got what he deserved, man. They brought him on to interview. He handled himself well, and he said he didn't bow down to him. Uh, I thought it was fine. 34 people have liked that tweet about the story, though, so a lot of people are like, yes, more Stockton. Heap more praise yeah, upon John Stockton. They, did, they didn't read it. They just saw the headline. I know, right? <laughs> but 53 people liked, sports are coming, sports are coming. How sweet is this news? Couldn't be better. 
If you missed it, the governors of New York, Texas, and California, following in the footsteps of the governor of Florida, and Arizona was first, weren't they? I think Arizona was the day before Florida. We usually are. <laughs> I expect Ducey. the governor of I expect the governor of D.C. to come out next. I don't think it works like that. Why not? Uh, they're not a state. They don't have a governor. Be the mayor. Marion Barry can do it. Just wait. That'd Pretty soon we'll have all 53 states. They'll be in unison. All right, DJ and PK, we are out of time. Hans and Scotty are coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow, 6 to 10, right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.